2: Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler 24 7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services.
1: CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it, most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point, and there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep.
3: Let's go! This is the Lombardi Live with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSN.
1: Back for another hour of the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. I'm Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher today from downtown Las Vegas at our Circus Sportsbook Studios. Michael Lombardi with us from New Jersey. It's a traditional NFL Wednesday of a whole lot of market movement, Michael. And that has not been, today has not certainly been an exception. A big reason why, just to recap some of our uh, top moves to begin a new hour. Tua Tagovailoa officially ruled out. Does not clear concussion protocol for Miami. That line goes from 9 to As of early this morning, all the way up to 12.5 or 13. Bills now favored by a healthy margin over the Dolphins. And reports this morning come out that Lamar Jackson faces a uphill battle, likely not going to suit up for Baltimore. That line goes from Bengals 6.5 up to Bengals minus 7 and starting to trend towards 7.5. So a couple big moves for us to keep track of. And I know you weren't surprised at either of those quarterback news coming out today.
4: Yeah, I'm not surprised about Lamar. I, I can't imagine Lamar's going to play, uh, only because I think if Lamar plays, he's got to be 100%. He can't be 80, because Lamar at 80, you know, and you can catch him. It's You know, you can. he's not as effective. And so, you know, it's not like, oh, we're going to put him out there and they're scared, we're going to throw the ball. I mean, you put him out there, you know he's got to be the runner in the run game, and if you don't have to defend him in the run game, then it's just not as effective. So it's kind of they're trapped by his skill set, right? They can't really – they can't fool anybody into it, so that one, that line ticking up above seven surprised me. It really did, because last week before we got to the game, we knew Lamar wasn't playing, but we thought Huntley was going to play. That line was at six and a half, and the game meant something for, for the Bengals. We knew they had to win right. the game. Now, we knew they were going to win the game, and then it ticked up because of the Anthony Brown news, but I'm surprised we're at seven, you know, and... and I think they kept Huntley out of the game last week only because it gives them a chance to play this week, and they, they knew they were going to need him for this week.
1: DraftKings, the first book to go to 7.5. Most other shops, including BetMGM, right now across the market at that juice 7, minus 115 to minus 120. I'm totally with you in that it, it definitely felt like an inflated line, but then you re- you read into the context last week I found myself on Cincinnati because you realized how much it mattered. There was the coin flip angle there, too. Cincinnati did not want to lose the game. And yet, look, it was an 11-point game where John Harbaugh sat most of his key key players. It kind of feels like from a pure power rating standpoint, even with uh, assuming uh, it will be Tyler Huntley, a quarterback, it's a line that is maybe a point or two too high and that this is a bit of another overreaction by the market.
4: I think it is a little bit. I mean because look, let's face it. I mean, I know the Bengals, I know the Bengals got scored tw- it was 24 to seven and then at that point, you know the hard part for us as handicapper and betters is are how serious were the Bengals in the second half, right? Like, how serious were they, right? Baltimore had 15 possessions in the game, you know, and they were able to move the ball a little bit in the second half. Now, they turned it over ridiculously in the first half, but they were able to move the ball in the first half, in the second half. You know, they were able to to kind of get some yards. They had one drive that went 73. They had another one that went 42. They had drives get going. But was that because the game was out of hand? Or was that because Cincinnati was not playing their best? And I think it was the game was out of hand. So the numbers from that game to me are irrelevant. Right. That, totally I, think gotta go to, I think you got to go back. I think you got to go back to handicapping this game as if both teams are going to play seriously. And you just can't say, "Well, Anthony Brown threw for two eighty six against them, so Huntley will throw for the same." I don't think you can do that. I think the key number in the game was. The key number in the game was that Drake, that the whole the running game for they didn't they obviously didn't play J.K. Dobbins, but they only ran for four point one yards a carry. Again, that won't matter. But the key stat that I wanted to get to was Cincinnati couldn't run the ball at all.
1: And that's a Cincinnati team that, that you think about if Baltimore could make them one dimensional. Ravens started the year. Remember all the talk about, okay, no wink Martindale anymore is D.C. they they were gashed against both the run and pass first five weeks of the year, but End the season top five defending the run on a per play basis. So last five weeks top ten unit there. You have to at least like the improvements that that defensive unit has made, and it's kind of it kind of feels like it's been lost in the shuffle with how we all focus on Lamar Jackson and the issues offensively there for Baltimore.
4: Yeah, I mean, we do, and, and but I think when you when you break them down, you know, like when you look at when they've played good quarterbacks, right? So if you go through their numbers and you just look at, okay, how did they play, right? Well, we know Miami, the fourth quarter, Miami went crazy, right? So we know that. You know, we know Brady was able to throw the football effectively against them even though they lost, and that they had to play from behind. So those, you know, New England, you know, when New England played them, you know, did New England – New England was able to move the football on them. I mean, New England – one of, that was one of New England's best passing games. Now, I know one of the plays was kind of like kind of a freaky play. and But New England moved the football on them throwing it. You know, there was a time. And so did Jacksonville. So, like, sometimes when I look at numbers, I think you have to – you take the season and you look at what quarterbacks did you play. Like, what elite quarterbacks did you play? They played Burrow. Now, where they play really well was against – was against Joe – was against Josh Allen – you know they really they shut down i mean they yeah. they had every opportunity to win that game every opportunity to win that game they they turned josh Allen over twice they turned it over twice which cost them the game
1: and it's it, like it's always important to apply that too because like it look for the final six weeks of the year for baltimore defensive numbers and like i was impressed with watching them on you know in, with the eye test on film but the, in the quarterbacks they faced it was russell wilson mitch trubisky deshaun watson uh, Desmond Ritter, then you had uh, Kenny Pickett in the Week 17 game and, and obviously Burrow this last week. I go
4: back even further. They had, they had, they had Baker Mayfield, Man, Mayfield in that game. Mayfield Week, week they, 11 they,
1: after the bye, yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, so they – they you know, it isn't like – and they had Andy Dalton in New Orleans before the bye, and they were picking him off left and right. He was turning the ball over like crazy in that game, remember? Monday so night, yeah. I, I, yeah, the, well, it was just one turn. It was the Arizona game. He was turned over like crazy. But still, the point is, I, I mean, I know they're good but I think you can attack them, and I think Cincinnati, you know, they didn't make a big play last week. The 33-yarder to Mixon was the biggest play. I, I think they held back, too, a little bit on what they wanted to do defense, offensively. I think they wanted to go in there with a simple game plan, keep it simple as possible,
1: and then knowing that they had to play him again the next week. Yeah, makes it a really interesting handicap for this week. Expect the market to continue fluctuating. Jackson has not been ruled out yet, but trending towards uh, the negative as far as his availability to play. For Baltimore, what's interesting today is how uh, is the rest of the betting market starts to take shape. Some interest in Seattle is crazy as that might sound on the surface from blanket tens yesterday and at openers. It's now pretty much market wide. Seahawks plus nine and a half. What do you make of the move?
4: You know, I, I look. I, I think. I think if you're Seattle, you say to yourself, "Look, the Raiders move the football." On. And we have better skill. Even though they have Devontae Adams, we have some really good skill players. They did it with Jarrett Stidham. Geno Smith's had a really good year. Their offensive line, you know, our line has got two rookies at tackle, but, you know, they play with their offensive line isn't exactly dominating. So, like, we've got to be able to make some plays against them. And we can't go in there thinking we're going to run the ball on them, but we've got to be able to run the ball enough to keep them off balance. And you know that to me, that that tape I think should give Seattle some hope. I mean, the last time they played them up there in Week Two of the season, right? They that was a tw- it wasn't even as close as the score. That's no. the Trey Lance game, the Jimmy Garoppolo game back in, right? And then when they played them up there in Purdy's first row game, they, they turned it over. They were they, they, it was really a a twenty-one to six game that became 21-13. It looks closer than it actually was. I mean, they only got 16 first downs in that game. So, you know, they got 14 the first time they played them. So I think that if you're Seattle and you're Shane Waldron, you're saying, look, I gotta, look here's what McDaniels did against them. We've got to try to do this. We've got to try to be able to see if we can, you know, run the football a little bit. The, the Raiders ran for 135. We've got to be able to have some ba- – and we've got to be able to convert some of these third and shorts. And we've got to keep the run alive because if we make this a 50-pass game, we're going to lose.
1: Just looking at the overall, the third down numbers, Seattle was uh, 6 of 20 in the two games against San Francisco this year. Only scored six points in the first three quarters. I bring that up because both games ended up being blowouts. It was a garbage time, a blocked field goal touchdown for Seattle in the 27-7 loss week two. At a garbage time touchdown down 21-6 in the Thursday night game week 15. It's just, even though, even if they, like what you say, a blueprint was shown by Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas, it's hard to see how Seattle... Even even with the personnel they have, just given the lack of the way the matchup brings the two teams together and how limited success the Seahawks have had, just don't see how there are ways for Seattle to get chunk plays and to put together drives given the the two games prior. I don't know if I'm missing something here, but it it's I'd just gonna be easy, path.
4: yeah. I didn't say it was going to be easy. And with the two starting left – starting, you know, with the two rookie tackles, it's not going to be easy. I mean, Cross, you know, we started the game off up there. He played half well. And then all of a sudden they started to get to him, and they were beating him inside and causing some problems. So, look, it's not easy, especially considering that San Francisco is going to have Armstead in there. They're going to have all their guys. Kinlaw is going to be back for the game. So it's going to be a challenge. But you've got to be able to figure out, hey – Look, we've got. uh, Look, they they got Metcalf, they got Lockett, they've got you know they've got some skill. And with Walker back, they can run it a little bit. Geno can't make a mistake, and they've got to be able to kind of hang themselves in the game a little bit with defensively. The problem really stems from their defense. They never can get control of the game because they can't stop San Francisco from running the ball.
1: Right, (laughs) and and look, it's not like it's gotten any better even since the Thursday night game against San Francisco. Uh, Third worst in the league last uh, the final five weeks of the year defending the run. On a per-play basis, you watched what Cam Akers just did to them last week in a game that uh, Seattle had everything to play for trying to get into the playoffs. That's just where I wonder. You think from the betting market, thinking, okay, it's the third game. It's a divisional rematch once again. You have a rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy. Ten is just too many points I don't know if I see it that way. What do you think about the mismatch going with Seattle's horrific run defense against a a San Francisco offense that should be able to have their way, and it kind of works vice versa, doesn't, doesn't it? I mean, I just don't see where the success comes offensively for Seattle either.
4: I don't see it. I mean they you know, the where the the success comes if they can protect. If Abraham Lucas can protect, if Cross can protect on the tackles on the edges, that's gonna be the challenge, right? And look, we went out there and we saw that, you know, they were able to, they ran the ball in the Jets and everybody well they ran well every the next week Miami ran the ball in the Jets, so like, can you run the ball on San Francisco? That's the key question, right? They right. ran for 70 yards in the, in, the, in the second game. They ran for 36 in the first. They got 106 yards in those games, and they turned the ball over five times or four times in both games. So how, how are they going to get that done? I think it's hard i think it's really hard your number uh, because your number was
1: what here uh, in this game 962 okay, 921 so right it, yeah. i just
4: think it's the, the longer the game goes the harder it gets yeah. over 10 though i think you got to think about it though Ben. i think that that's a little that's a lot
1: i get it no and the, and the books no, they, they want to make you pay that tax raising it up to 10 some of the respected bettors have come in taking the plus 10 with seattle we'll have more to say on this game a little bit later when harry gagdon joins the show up next though Back to some of the off-season storylines. Some interesting comments out of Ryan Poles in Chicago. We'll break those down next.
2: Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget.
3: The lombardi line on v featuring former nfl executive michael lombardi now once again here's patrick maher
1: before you make your next bet be sure to visit vsin.com to check the current betting splits data want to know where the money and bets are moving every game the betting splits page is updated with DraftKings odds every 10 minutes so you can see changes in all the action Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not only today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way VEASAN is here to make you a smarter bettor year round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at VEASAN.com. We welcome you back to the Lombardi line with Michael Lombardi on the East Coast. I'm Ben Wilson. Big thanks to Brian Ortega, our producer, Andrew Ingold, our technical director, everybody else helping out. Uh, Sergio Sanchez, Mikhail Bala, Aramis Westfall, Rob Moreno, Troy Kinch. Uh, I think I got everybody. Uh, this time, Michael, I actually did it. All in one, all in one shot there. So we'll go back to Wild Card Week in a little bit. Harry Gagnon going to join us in 15 minutes from the Against All Odds podcast. He has plays for Wild Card Weekend, but it's also this weird time of year where there's a lot of rumors floating, whether it's in the head coaching circle or also now at the top of the draft order. And it's the Chicago Bears who, after a two and one start, find themselves with the number one pick here, heading into the April draft. Uh, interesting comments from GM Ryan Poles yesterday talking about. Uh, what it would take for them to draft a QB at number one. We'll first get uh, his, his comments here, and then we'll get your reaction, Michael. Let's play the uh, Ryan Poles clip here from yesterday. Yeah, we had good conversations. Um, I'm excited for the direction he's going. And as I mentioned before, he knows where he has to improve. I think he mentioned that the other day. Um, so we're excited about his development and where he goes next. He showed ability to be impactful with his legs. There's flashes with his arm. Now if we can put that together, I think we have something really good. Because you have
4: the first pick, there are people that sit there and go, a quarterback might be available there. You're saying Justin's your guy.
1: Well, We're going to do the same as we've always done. We're going to evaluate the draft class, and I would say this, I'd have to be absolutely blown away to make that type of decision. So those first comments on Justin Fields of Heichel, and then what could potentially be at a number one, what do, you, what do you interpret the situation going on there in Chicago?
4: Well, there's not, Peyton Manning's not coming out. I mean, he wouldn't He wouldn't be having this conversation if Peyton Manning was coming out. He wouldn't be having this. You know, it would be a no-brainer. I mean, I thought he accurately described Justin Fields. He's sensational with his feet. He's got a lot of work to do with his arm. He's not really a quarterback yet. And then you factor in the durability. But are you better off? Would you, Do you want to exchange him for an undersized quarterback who you're not sure is durable enough and can help? Not that Bryce Young has gotten hurt, but... I missed the memo that the, the the Doug Flutie quarterbacks are back in vogue. I, I missed that memo going around the NFL. I, I guess I, you know, to me, <laughs> yeah, you need a big guy. You need a guy who can pl- move and do all that. So I I think he's probably in the right mindset, and you know he's going to try to stir up interest in that pick, knowing he's not going to pick a quarterback. But he also knows where, you know, maybe some of these other teams. I don't think he has a handle on how we value the quarterbacks yet. You know, the, the I know the draft experts do, but I'm not sure the NFL experts do, because the teams I talk to in the NFL, they they don't see Bryce Young as a slam dunk number one pick. Mm, interesting. They just don't.
1: Yeah. And makes you think.
4: They, if, they, I mean they, they, they have they have questions. Oh, here that they say 185 pounds. He's under six feet tall. a great player. I, I agree. He's a great. I love watching him in college. He he's unbelievable in the red zone. The way he moves around and Patrick Mahomes thinks. But are you sure he's going to be the first? And if you're and if you're sitting there, if you're Ryan Poles, and you're saying, okay, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to turn, I'm going to trade in this guy who we kind of have an idea about for that guy who there is some. There's it's not a slam dunk. If there were Peyton Manning coming out of Tennessee or if there were Troy Aikman coming out of UCLA or if there was Andrew Luck coming out of Stanford no doubt
1: right but you wonder at the same time with Houston being at number two with Indianapolis being at number four and at least the as much as you talk about the reality of what NFL personnel people think of Bryce Young and and guys like him and CJ Stroud these very highly uh, at least like hyped up quarterbacks coming into the draft is there a world where Chicago says, OK, we, we, we aren't as high on those guys. We, we are comfortable sticking with fields going forward. And we know that we can get a really good price from Houston or Indy, two teams desperate for a franchise quarterback in their eyes, moving up to go number one. I, I wonder if Chicago ends up holding on to that pick as a result, if the perception from the, a couple of the teams below them is it's worth moving up to one because we feel super confident in those guys at the, at the top there.
4: I don't know if that's going to be the case because if I'm if I were in in Houston or India I'd say look if you don't if you t- if, if you trade somebody else to young I'll keep all my picks and I think Stroud's better I mean like I think Stroud's better or I and I think that's how teams will approach it like that's why we have a that's why what you and I talk about is different than what they talk about in draft rooms in draft rooms they talk about great you know in, in New England's system in the Houston system which Nick Cesario's running down there. Bryce Young can't get higher grade than a 62, a 6.2, which is an undersized player for the position who is limited on what round you could, limited on where you can draft them. Good player, starter, undersized. Doesn't meet the requirements for height. Now, why do you do that? You do that because you don't, you want to build a team that can compete at at the end of the year and can win and can win and, and can compete at the highest level and win. You, that's why you're doing that. That's why you have to have a grading system. A grading system allows you to build the kind of team you want to build. If you just randomly do with all these draft picks and say, I like that guy, I like that guy, <laughs> right. you become a team of exceptions. You become a team of exceptions. You have a short guy here, a tall guy there. No, the way to build the football team the correct way, San Francisco has a as a profile for what they want. That's how they built that defense. That's how they build the offense. That, you know, they take certain players that fit them. They don't want, you know, this kind of guard or that kind of tackle. They want specific. So, you know, that's where it's going to come in. Whereas Nick can't do that. Um, same thing in Indianapolis. They have a grading system. Are they going to take 189 pounds quarterback? Here's where you don't want to be. This is what this is what gets missed. All of it. You don't want to draft a quarterback and still need one. That's where the Jets are. That's where t- that's where Miami might be.
1: Crazy when you think about it from that perspective and how quickly, especially for the Jets, how quickly an investment on a number two overall pick from just two years ago in Zach Wilson has completely uh, faltered and and gone uh, the wrong way. Jets the 13th overall pick this year. you You think from the Bears perspective, and it's also a team that has so many holes personnel wise, defense that's bad, an offensive line that's among the league's worst is it Will Anderson, Alabama linebacker? We know how they centered a, a team around Brian Urlacher all those years ago at, at linebacker. Is it Jalen Carter, the outstanding uh, Georgia defensive lineman? Well, what, what do you see uh, ending up happening there? Well, let's
4: let's let's go. Let's talk about philosophy, right? So we know their head coach is a defensive coach. We know their head coach wants to run the Tampa system of defense, Tampa two cover three, that San Francisco style. So if there's a defensive end or a defensive tackle. That can rush the passer. That'll be the pick. You know, will they will they use it on a corner? Probably not, because like I said, when 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 this when the Texans used the it on the corner last year, Stingley, it made no sense because Stingley can't Stingley, Why would you use all those assets to play cover two, right? Why would you use all those assets to play cover two? You're going to roll the corner up, and you're going to use the third pick overall in the draft for that. You can get you can get a guy in the third round that can do that, right? You know, it doesn't have to be elite to do that. So, and now as they change head coaches from Lovey to a new guy, now they have a legitimate man-to-man corner. So they basically were picking the guy regardless of scheme. And I think what you'll see in Chicago is they're going to pick a guy that fits what they do. I think they'll pick whatever the best left tackle is, if there's a left tackle. Or if there's a great defensive end, I don't think it's I don't think it's a hard decision of all. If I'm the GM of Chicago. I'm either picking the best offensive lineman at tackle, or I'm picking the guy who can rush the passer.
1: I mean, Jalen Carter's I would think going to get a lot of buzz right now. The fourth overall, at least that the projected slots on the the odds board at this point and in the six to one range. If Will Anderson is about four yeah. to one, a lot of the talk heading yep. into the draft is going to be well. It's got to be either either Stroud or Young. Yeah. I mean, Young's just like minus one favorite.
4: Here's, Here's where now we're, we're, we're into the watch-the-board-move time yeah. of the NFL, right? So what happens is there's a, there's, a, there's a cycle that goes through. All the scouts go through it, and these mock guys go through it, and they, they all talk to one another, and they come up with a consensus. And then once the people that understand what it takes to play in the NFL – And what you have to have. For example, you can't draft a linebacker in the NFL who you could formation off the field. You can't draft him in the first four rounds. If I can put a formation on the field a personnel group on the field, say eleven, and and he has to go to the sidelines, you can't draft him early. Well, sometimes the scouts will grade that guy too high and all of a sudden he's going to go in the top pick. It's like it's like Kyle Hamilton. He's the fourteenth pick overall in the draft. I saw Pro Football Focus had him as like a top safety. He doesn't play safety. He does not play safety. He's a nickel linebacker. That's what he plays. He's a nickel linebacker. So once you get people that know the league and start to grade it, then all of a sudden we'll stick to hear this, oh, this guy's really moving up the board. No, he's not. He never moved up the board. <laughs> you just didn't understand it.
1: Yeah. And look for the odds right now, and just keep this in mind for now. We always oh, say I want
4: to <laughs> pick a bone with you. Did you see pro football focuses uh, top
1: Yeah, I college teams? I, I knew you'd bring this up.
4: When we come back from break, I want you to explain that to me. I want you to explain uh, that to me. I'm confused. Minnesota. I knew they were a dominant team. I knew it. Was Bronco Nagurski on that ball club? I don't know. Oh
1: boy, we'll we'll do our best to explain the end of uh, end of college football season PFF team rankings. When we come back, Harry Gagnon is also going to join us, but at least for now, Bryce Young. He's favored minus 125 to be the number one overall pick. Uh, Anderson six to one. Carter eight to one with CJ Stroud a short uh, plus money second choice. See how that odds board shifts. There's going to be a lot more movement between now and April. Uh, Harry G, he joins the show next for some wild card picks.
3: You're listening to the Lombardi Line on v Featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once
5: again, here's Patrick Maher.
1: If you're looking for a betting edge on football's big game, the VEASAN experts have got you covered. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber with an introductory offer of only $9.99. VEASAN Pro subscribers get access to our daily recap of the top plays made by VEASAN Show hosts and guests. Tools like our betting splits let you see where the money and bets are moving every game, deep dive betting reports, VEASAN betting guides for the biggest games of the season, where our experts break down brackets, best bets, and all the big game props. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Visit VEASAN.com slash subscribe today to sign up for only $9.99 to become part of the sports betting network that is vsin.com slash subscribe i still i had five minutes to try to think about it michael i don't have a good answer for you for uh, for the end of season uh college football team grades for pff i'm sorry i don't
4: I, I don't even know how they i mean it's a ponzi scheme is what it is it's a complete ponzi scheme <laughs> I that. I mean, you, minnesota's the third best team and the uh, fourth best team in college football i mean who else was in oh air force was fifth air force i mean, was fifth. i love yeah. the air force like I love Air Force. I mean, that's a great school. I think Troy Calhoun does a tremendous job. The fifth best school in the country? Come on, please stop. I mean, and then yeah. you really think people are going to keep reading this and have any credibility? I mean, it makes. I mean, Eesh. common sense is should be
1: common. Sometimes it's not, though. Unfortunately, uh, anyway, sometimes it's we, not. <laughs> we move on to uh, our guest, Harry Gagdon from the Against the Odds podcast. Uh, Michael, we missed you uh, Monday night at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club. Uh, thanks to Harry. He invited me out there. Watched the It was a college football national championship watch party. Got to see Harry in the flesh. It, Harry's like a seasoned politician. Like He was working the room, giving people betting <laughs> tickets and drinks. He had like eight different 14 parlays going at once. Harry, it was great to see you and hang out. Uh, we, we wish Michael was able to join us, but it was a blast hanging with you on Monday night.
3: Uh, absolutely awesome, Mike. We wish you were there. But, but I, Mike, I do owe Ben an apology. Because, you know, Ben comes into the into the uh, uh, comedy club right. and says he's Ben. And good for Ben, by the way, because uh, I hadn't seen Ben up close before yet, Michael. And uh, I was about ready to send him to the candy store. Ben looks like
4: he's about <laughs> 16 years old.
2: <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, he's
3: 29. He looks like he's about 16. I was going to ID. I thought uh, they were IDing him. He looks, looks so young.
4: Good for him. Yeah, I know. Good I, I know. it. It's, it's it's tough when you do shows all the time with somebody and you don't get to see them you know frequently and you know kind of like it. Patrick and I went two years I think before we even met each yeah. other doing remote wow. shows wow. so you know and so it's always hard and Ben you know he's done a great job this year filling in on Tuesday and Wednesday and I love working with him but I, I I've never met Ben I don't think I've met Ben I'm not, I'm out there in Vegas and usually I was doing my show at the South Point and he was down at the Circus so sometimes right. it's right. hard to even catch up but.
3: But we had a blast. We had a blast. It was a great time, and we all. Well, had a, I mean, uh, I mean,
4: what did you guys do in the once? You, once it was, I think, it was thirty-eight to seven at the half. That was that was checkmate at that point. That was pawn to queen four. That was checkmate. I mean, what, you just drink the second half. Well, Is they you did, guys no, they
1: did? did a they did a uh, a football throwing challenge out in the alley behind the comedy club, and Harry actually threw a pretty tight spiral. It was uh, it was impressive. Oh, nice. he, he's a lefty. I, I, he he was like a Scott sequels throwback. I mean, Harry, you know, <laughs> he looked pretty. Well,
3: you know. Well, you know what, Ben? Mike. If anyone knows how competitive Sal is, Michael knows. And uh, and Sal doesn't like losing to me often. And uh, it was rated that I was a little bit after him. The, the, when we did the podcast that we did after the show, we did another podcast after everyone had left the comedy club. And Sal was more than anything, he was upset because our producer, who you know very well, uh, Michael, uh, Joel Solomon, uh, said Hello. that I was than Sal. And Sal did not like that one bit. He thought that was rigged. <laughs>
1: I love it. It's. amazing.. That kind of sounds about right. Uh, you can give Harry a follow, by the way, at AAO Harry, part of the degenerate trifecta. I got to meet all those guys Monday, which was a blast part of the Against All Odds" podcast. Okay, so we talked earlier, Harry, how the betting market is going to Seattle today, down from plus 10 to nine and a half, Seattle going to San Francisco. You have some thoughts and some action on this game. Uh, what do you make of the market move there?
3: Yeah, you know what? I Look, I understand San Francisco looks fantastic. Purdy is working out nicely. McCaffrey and Kittle are getting involved. Uh, and no one is really giving Seattle a chance just to win the game. Now, I know the Lions can get from 10 to 9 and but uh, I am going to side with Seattle here because oh, they did get into the playoffs uh, winning the last two weeks, and the defense gave up just a total of 22 points in that game, six straight weeks in uh, they have not allowed more than 24 points. So I think the plus nine and a half sounds doable. Plus, you know, Smith and the Seahawks, the ninth best offense in the league. Uh, and here could be the secret weapon to the game, I think. It's going to be rookie Kenneth Walker, K 9. Last three weeks, 107 against Kansas City rushing the ball, 133 for the Jets, 114 for the Rams. He's been there when they need if He stays healthy. And right now he is. Uh, I think he's the key to this game. He's Like, again, three straight weeks of over 100 yards rushing. If Seattle can run the ball well, I think they can definitely hang here and at least cover the
4: 9.5. You know, that the game that worries me, I, 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 my instincts are to go with you on this, Harry, but the game that worries me is the game you brought up, right? it's that it's that game against Kansas City where I was on mm-hmm. Seattle in that game, and I thought they would make it competitive because their receivers are what gives Kansas City trouble. you got to win on outside routes against Kansas City. you got to beat their corners. They're going to play man-to-man. And Seattle didn't do that. Seattle didn't play as well as I thought they were going to. And and so and Kansas City kind of, like, they, only, they held Kansas City to 24 points, which is remarkable, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think to me, that worried me a little bit and i agree with you look they, they if they can hold san francisco to 24 you'd think they're going to win but then all of a sudden can they score 10 can they score 10 yeah. and that's where i have a little bit of an issue yeah it, it, i mean think and, about it harry think about it. they're playing they're playing they're playing the rams in a do or die game a do or die yeah. game and you know and and that and and, and frankly i think the rams should have won the game no, they definitely
3: could have in the week before. They didn't exactly light it up against the Jets either. But the defense was there these past two weeks, and that's what I'm kind of banking on. Uh, like I said, they haven't given up, uh, what I say, so, uh, more than uh, 24 points in six straight weeks. Uh, that was the game. They scored the, they gave up 24 against Kansas City. Uh, I just think that everyone's going to be piling out eventually, Moneyline, I think, the Seattle on Sam I think Seattle with the nine and a half, though, just yeah. they're still a very impressive team all year considering what we thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season. I think they hang here.
1: Harry, a game we have not gotten to yeah. yet on the show. We're going to finish up with it in our next segment is Dallas and Tampa Bay. Uh, looking at the way the market has moved, it's money coming to Tampa from Cowboys three and a half. It's now two and a half. And the total is uh, su- kind of surprising to me, Harry. It's ticked up. It's from 44 and a half, not a 45 and a half market wide. Uh, where do you see the edge being in this spot?
3: I don't love it here, but I do like the under guys, uh, <clears throat> uh, 45. And I, by the way, in Vegas too, I, I somehow lost my voice as well too. So well, I shots to hear that, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, under 45 and a half. Week one, start the season, this game with 19-3 to three final. Tampa won that game. Tampa D held Dallas to just 250 total yards. Dak, 50% sh- passing that game, just 134 yards. Terrible display by Dallas offensively. Dak needs to look out because, the, you know, the Tampa Bay secondary is healthy, they're ready, they're, and the Bucs defensive line, seventh in sacks this season. Tampa Bay, by the way, just 25th. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe Brady... Uh, has found his edge a little bit the last couple weeks getting things done. Um, But I just think overall this team's still 25th in scoring in the NFL. Dallas' defense is fifth best in points against. I think this is a tight game. Brady doesn't go down without a fight here. I think this is more field goals than touchdowns in the red zone. I like under 45 and a half.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I hear all this kind of talk about you know Brady and I, I look nobody loves Brady more than I do and um, do I think Brady do I think the Bucks' offense is turned around? No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think they are. I don't think it was in Carolina. I think if you really watch the yeah. tape of that game, if Carolina has J.C. Horn on the field, they win the game. If J.C. Mm-hmm. Horn plays, he takes out Mike Evans, they win. And, and yet, J.C. Horn was Evans out. They could doesn't get and, three
3: touchdowns there, Mike. Evans definitely doesn't get three touchdowns in that game, if that's the right, case. You're right. right.
4: Yeah, so, like, I don't see it. Like, I don't see them, you know, having this. You know, I know they didn't play everybody again. I mean, they struggled to beat Arizona. You know, they, you know, they couldn't beat Cincinnati. I think when they play good teams, and I think Dallas you have to almost forget about last week because I don't think Dallas played very good, obviously. It was clear. And I, I think they knew they were playing for nothing. I don't know why they played the way they did. I, I think Dallas is better in the dog role than they are the home favorite. I really do.
1: And Dallas is now laying at two and a half there on the road. But Harry going to go under in that spot, under 45 and a half. Harry, you have a, a little three-teamer for us as we uh, we have about a minute left here. What what do you have cooking up on the Moneyline Parlay this week?
3: Yeah, money line Parlay, three-teamer this place, plus 135, guys. First, I'm going to start with the Bills, obviously, minus 800. I'm not – a playoff game, I know the situation – with Miami and their quarterbacks and everything. But still, it's a playoff game. No way am I laying 13 half in the playoff game. But Josh Allen puts us away early, and they win this game against Miami. But I'm not laying 13. Bill's money line minus 800. I'm going to take the Vikings minus my Vikings minus 165 money line against the Giants, the New York Giants. Overall, don't scare me. The Vikings team, this Vikings team, Needs this playoff game. Kirk Cousins definitely needs this playoff game. He needs this win under his hat at home. Vikings get it done with Justin Jefferson. And I'm going to finish it off with Cincinnati minus 340 against Baltimore. Burrow might just be the best quarterback heading into the playoffs. Baltimore, we know the quarterback issues they have. 30th in the league in passing yards. And the Ravens have scored more than 17 points. They're in the playoffs. Unbelievable. Scored more than 17 points one time in their last eight games. Give me the Bengals and Burrow,
1: plus 135. Thanks, Love Harry. It, Harry. And great to actually meet you in person here this past week, Harry. Appreciate it as always Good coming on the time. show. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Harry. Said something. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Matt. All right. Final segment for us. We'll talk Tampa-Dallas when
2: we resume.
3: You're listening to the Lombardi Line on v featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher.
1: BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets. It's never been easier to join the action on the new BetMGM app, featuring a fresh redesign with improved features and quicker navigation. Planning a trip to Vegas? You can also convert your BetMGM points into MGM rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM resorts located on the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is sports betting's premier loyalty program, including exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks. When you wager with BetMGM, sign up with BetMGM or log in today to take advantage of BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. As we're back for the final time on the Lombardi Line, big thanks to our guests today, including Harry Gagnon, in this last hour, giving us his wild card picks for the upcoming week. I'm glad that you brought up the the lack of clear like emotional buy-in from Dallas last week though Michael because for weeks we figured Cowboys bucks would be the NFC wildcard matchup in the 4-5 game. Yeah. And for weeks we figured man Dallas is going to be four and a half, five point road favorites and nobody's going to want to bet Tampa and yet one meaningless game for Dallas and technically wasn't meaningless there was a very small probability that they move out of the 5 seed line completely lay an egg in Washington and now the betting narrative is how can you possibly lay points with Dallas? You got to, it's Brady in a playoff underdog role. You have to bet him. I just don't understand the market movement whatsoever. It's now under a field goal. It sounds like you're liking uh, the Cowboys. You're laying the two and a half.
4: You know, I think sometimes the best thing that can ever happen for a coach and, and, a, and an organization is getting beat bad. It kind of refocuses you. I think, let's go, to, let's go Monday night. You know, why did I like Georgia in that game? Because Kirby had the greatest gift of all. He, his team didn't play good, and they beat Ohio State. I mean, when he went to the podium and he said, look, I'm really happy we won this game, but boy, we didn't play very good. You never hear that from a coach after a win. But that's how much that win irritated Kirby, how badly they played. So I knew that they were going to play. That, that team was going to be completely focused in terms of game plan preparation for TCU, did I think they would they would score sixty five and the opponent would score seven? No. <laughs> right. Did I think the over would co- would cover based on Georgia alone? No. Okay, so I, I'm not I'm not a savant here, but I knew that they would play really well. I knew they would, and I think it's the same thing here in Dallas. Like Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy, they can kind of regroup themselves. They didn't play well. Brady doesn't have a lot of options, right? His offensive line isn't playing very well. They don't throw the ball down the field unless it's to Evans. He doesn't, you know, they're bad on third down. You know, even in the Carolina game, they're 4 for 15 on third down. Again, if the Carolina doesn't give up the three big plays and I know they gave them up, but that's because JC Horn wasn't on the field. That's why that was a hard matchup for Carolina in the game. They they didn't play with corners. They had no corners. So for me, you know, this will be Dallas Dallas will come out with their best game. And I said earlier the other block with Harry, I said Dallas in the underdog role. I didn't mean in terms of the point spread. I meant in terms of the perception, right? Correct. Like every time when Dallas is the number one seed, we think Jerry's going to win and he ends up losing, right? When Dallas is kind of like on the road and has to go to Green Bay, and even though Des Bryant did catch that ball, they didn't get it. They're a better They're a better role. They, they take on that role with – with a little bit more focus and concentration. When you're the king of the hill and you think you could just show up and win, that's when you're vulnerable.
1: That's why Cowboy fans, if you ask them, still I feel like the 7 divisional playoff loss to the New York Giants. That one probably stings more than a lot of the other "Quote unquote collapses over the years because that was their you know, their best regular season. They were the you know they were the team to beat that year and completely fell flat on their face. Was part of that Giants' uh, run to the Super Bowl over New England and and now yes in that perceptive role of everybody wanted to back Brady and the Bucs here. But think about the red zone disparities throughout the season for the two teams. Where again you take out last week for Dallas, but they've been a really solid team, top ten in red zone offense, uh, just above." Uh, middle of the pack in red zone defense, whereas Tampa Bay, how many field goals have we watched them settle for with Ryan Suckup Uh, this season? A bottom 10 red zone offense team. Defense has has struggled when they do give up drives and let teams get into the red zone. A lot of times they aren't stopping them. Bottom 10 in that category as well. It's a Dallas team that every single number to me, Michael, points to being a five-and-a-half, six-point road favorite, and yet the market's not uh, giving them any respect. I wonder where your number came on this one. 6.57, you
4: called it. I mean, I had a six point. and here's where to me, I think they gain another advantage. I mean, Dallas is, Dallas is in the top twelve of my nineteen categories. They're in the top twelve in, in sixteen of them. I mean, they're really good. I mean, they're really good in a lot of areas, right? So, you know, to me, and they're not, they're not deficient in any. Meanwhile, Tampa is bad in five. They're in the bottom, they're in the bottom seven in five categories, right? And they're only good at, they're only in the top twelve and five. So when the matchups come in, I mean, Dallas has got a lot of things going for them. I mean, when you look at the last five games, I know you know 24th in the league, uh, Tampa Bay, 26 over the last 10 points per play. One team's two, the other team's 30. Fourth quarter, you know, Dallas is 17th in the league and they're 30th. I mean, like they're just not very good. Now, one area where they're really good is Tampa's good at protecting a quarterback. But that's because Brady gets rid of the football so darn quick.
1: Right. And I, with taking out the Week 18 numbers, I, I looked as far as last five weeks entering the playoffs were so Weeks 13 through 17 since both games. It was, again, meaningless for Tampa Bay. Dallas, pseudo-meaningless in the Week 18 game yeah. in Washington. At Tampa, 30th on offense last five weeks, running the football on a per-play basis, about middle of the pack, uh, passing the ball. And I, I look at a Dallas run defense that has been elite, Ever since midseason, having made that adjustment, and even with Leighton Vanderesh as a linebacker having been banged up, they've still been really good at defending the run. So if you, if you assume that this becomes a one-dimensional offense that has been that way for Tampa all year, Dallas knows exactly what the Buccaneers will try to do. I don't see how the Bucs oh, yeah. just make it, make it easy on themselves offensively when they have no ability to run the ball, and Dallas doesn't let you do that anyway.
4: Right, and Dallas's movement is going to give Tampa some tr- trouble, too. Like, let's not confuse that. Dallas is fast on defense. Now, they're faster when they play on turf than they when they play on grass, but this grass down in Tampa is a lot different than that soggy field in D.C. That's a slow track there. You know, it's it's any rain or any moisture, it really makes it a slow field. And look, when you got McLaurin and you've got on the outside Dotson, those guys, that's a lot different than what they have in Tampa. I mean, Evans might make deep plays down the field, but he's not running by anybody. Usually, he's in a kind of a jump ball situation. Mm -hmm. He ran by the Tampa corner because he ran by the Carolina corner because he can't cover. But to me, I I think this is the perfect setup for 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 them. They get Pollard going. You know, their offensive line, they should get that better. You know, Vita Vey hasn't played as well as he has in the past. Akeem Hicks. I don't think Tampa's 100% healthy either. So I I like Dallas. I think Dallas will be effective, and I think that they can create the kind of game that give Brady some trouble. Look, you know, this team has not played well. I mean, let's just face it. They haven't been able to really kind of muster up when they needed to
1: play well. Keep in mind that for the you talk about Bucks injuries, you have Donovan Smith comes in questionable, who's been really not le- he's been less than 100 percent even when he's played. He hasn't been fully healthy the past few weeks, and already on a backup center and Robert Hainsey, who's banged up too. He's questionable uh, coming into this week. I get that people watching, listening to us right now are saying, but you guys haven't mentioned Dak Prescott yet. He's been horrible the last seven weeks, 11 picks. I I don't know. I I look at that and it's it's a lot of it is sure the the numbers are what they are, and he's made some really really bad throws in those stretches. Season-long numbers, though, to me at least, Michael, I, I still have a good amount of trust in him if the protection is there from his offensive line, and to me that'll be the key. How how effectively does Tampa rush the passer in this week? But as a yeah. pure passer, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not really worried about Prescott in this game.
4: I I think they they have to do a better job manage them. They they you know it's hard to run the ball in Tampa, but there's some easy throws you can make. The other thing I think in terms of when you're analyzing this week's games, throw out week 18 numbers. Like don't let those week 18 numbers affect the stats going into this week because you can't gauge who was serious and who wasn't, right? Like to me, the season, the, the, the end of the year for me is after week seven, it's going into week 18. That's when every, everybody was trying at that point. Week 18, it's hard to gauge how much people are trying. That's why I, I don't really put too much stock into that Tampa, into that, that
1: Washington game. Right. No, I'm totally with you, too. I, I don't even update like after week 18. I don't even update my numbers. I just throw everything in because what's the point of factoring it? Like I'll update it for teams. If if, look, if it's two teams playing in a must win game for playoff positioning, then sure, I'll, I'll factor those in. Uh, the other element on this is we wrap up the show, it's the Mike McCarthy Todd Bulls matchup coaching. I, how do you how do you give an edge either way? There both are pretty untrustworthy from in game management perspectives, right?
4: Yeah, and I, I mean the adjustments. I think I think when you look at the details, I think that certainly you know can Leftwich adjust to what Dan Quinn's going to do because he'll do something different. I mean, mm-hmm. and can you know Bowles adjust to what the great the great Colin Moore's going to do? You know, so I, I think it is a game of adjust. you got
1: to really weigh coaching into these these games as well. It, it, look, you're going to hear a lot, though, in, in general narrative the next few days. Oh, Mike McCarthy, hard to trust that guy in the playoffs. What what has Todd Bowles shown us that, that from his adjustments he wore? <laughs> oh, but that, but you, uh, yeah. The guy I don't trust is Kellen
4: Moore. I, that's I, I also actually, fair. If McCarthy would call the plays, I would feel better. A fair point.
1: Man, a lot still for us to get to uh, this week on the show. Patrick Maher back tomorrow. Michael, as always, blast hanging out with you here these two hours. Thank shows you. Fly by. Appreciate you, Ben. Absolutely. Talk and to Brian soon. Ortega, our producer as well. We thank uh, him as we wrap up the show. It's Veasan Big Bets coming your way next.
2: Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER-247 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner. The rise. The fall.